Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. Hope you're all doing well today. Today we're going to discuss, finally, I know it's been a while since I've even brought this up, but there hasn't been much movement or news on the, on the case, the Microsoft acquisition of Activision and Blizzard. Okay. Right now the FTC hearings are going on. We're in the fourth of five, I believe, days. I think the last day is tomorrow. But I will not have time to record this podcast tomorrow. Um, and then a verdict will either come tomorrow or over the weekend. I'm not quite sure how the FTC, when they have to have their verdict, if they're given time after all the stuff. But they've had a whole fucking year. So, you know. Okay. I have talked about this numerous times before because this is one of the biggest uh, moves in video game history as well as one of the biggest deals in entertainment history. And me being a filmmaker uh, and being in film and television as well as uh, music and being an avid gamer, uh, this is huge for me and this is huge for everybody. And so it's a very important thing going forward because it can change the fabric of how video game companies operate, and how entertainment conglomerates and monopolies are formed. Um, so this is important for everybody, I think, globally on, a, on in some respect, especially us gamers. Um, before I get into that, let me make a few announcements and disclaimers. For one, you can follow me on all social media platforms, at uh, Psychic34. Um, check out my music, Psychic, P-S-Y-K-I-C-K, capital P, capital K, as always, and the new production, film and television production company that me and my uh, uh, work colleague and close friend and uh, uh, Mr. Norcus himself, shout out to Norcus, one of, the, one of the goats out there doing his thing. He and I are uh, collaborating to form our own production company called Psychus Productions, P-S-Y-K-U-S. It's a combination of Psychic and Norcus, Psychus Productions. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and check out our YouTube channel, all of the same name, Psychus Productions. Please check us out and support us. We have a lot of great content coming down the pipeline, and if you're interested in anything related to film, television, short series, um, and web series, please, please, please check that out because we are going to be making some really cool things in the future. So stay around for that. Some disclaimers. One, I have not watched every single second or read every single transcript and document from these FTC hearings. That would take an eternity, and I simply haven't had that time or availability. Of course, I have gone over the highlights. I have seen some of the files, some of the unredacted files as well. Um, I have been following this in general, and I have been watching other summaries of it, like Destin... Uh, which is, uh, he used to be an IGN employee. I don't know if he still is. He's a video game, uh, journalist and analysis, uh, or analyst, and his name's Destin. He's on YouTube. Please go check him out. He's got some of the best, uh, podcasts of just straightforward, cut and dry video game news, and he, he really filters it down to the... Uh, to what you need to know, but he, he still, it's a lot more detailed than a five-minute header. So check him out, Destin, I think that's his name, on YouTube. Um, if you've watched IGN, you'll know him. 
So he's a, he's a great source of this info because he can give me really good in-depth recaps. And he also has all the files and documents that he pulls up and talks about it. So uh, he is my main source for the info that I'm about to talk about. Um, there's also, from The Verge, there's Tom Warren, who's the main journalist who's been covering this for the past week. So kudos to him. He's been doing a phenomenal job at just presenting the information as he gets it. Um, and so a lot of the headlines that you see around this are actually sources coming from him. And then they are later confirmed either in the trial, in the public trial, or uh, later by other verified sources. So, yeah. Folks, always respect your journalists, always protect them. They are doing work that is sometimes extremely difficult um, and dangerous. I don't know if this was particularly. I assume it was difficult to do this. It's difficult to be a journalist, to be a successful journalist, but I don't know how dangerous this was. But nonetheless, respect your journalists because they're, they're trying their best. Always respect and protect them. Anyway, here we go. So, let me, let me just give you a quick synopsis of what's going down, the whys and the hows, and then we'll get into the details. What was it? Last year, and I'm going, a lot of this is from the top of my head. I have written down the notes and I've taken some pictures of the more in-depth stuff, the facts of the matter. Uh, and I'll try to be, I mean, I'm going to be, I'm also going to be biased here. And I'm not trying to be, and I'm not painting Sony as the big villain, because I think Sony PlayStation is a great uh, console and service, and I think it's incredible what they're doing with their games and with their community. Um, I'm just, I have an Xbox <laughs> and a PC. That's it. That's just how it is. I've had an Xbox since like 2010. I've had a PlayStation 3. I wanted a PlayStation 4. I've considered a PlayStation 5, but I stuck with Xbox because that's where my friends are. That's where my games are. That's where the services that I would prefer are. You know what I mean? So it's just, you know, the ecosystem I'm indoctrinated in. And now that I have a PC, I can play some of the biggest PlayStation hits. No problem. Um, but my buddy, Mr. Norcus himself, he and I are roommates, so makes it easier for us to create this film production company film and television production company, Psychus Productions, once again, don't forget it. Um, he has a PlayStation, so we'll often play his PlayStation, and then we'll play my Xbox and play the games that we have, vice versa, when and where we can. So I love PlayStation. I think it's a great console. I've got nothing against it. Um, I just don't have one. <laughs> Simple as that. Either never had the time or the money, and by the time I did, uh, the ecosystem was too ingrained in what I had. It would take too much to build up as I'm sure you'd understand if you have a preferred console of choice that you've been with for X amount of years. So uh, with that out of the way, just know I, I am slightly biased in Microsoft Xbox's favor because this greatly, greatly benefits me as a consumer. So I'll tell it to you straight. I will gain more out of this going through than a, a PlayStation person. That being said, I am not immune nor blind to Microsoft's fail points or folly. So please, please don't think that I'm just 
dick riding Microsoft Xbox the entire time because that is absolutely not the case. I am biased towards them. I will prefer them more than not over Sony when it comes down to it because as a consumer, that's where my money is. It just is. That's where I benefit from. Okay? But that isn't at the slight... That there's no slight or malintent towards Sony fans and PlayStation as a whole. And there is... This isn't going to be an instance where I'm ignoring the problems and the ramifications. I'm trying to look at this objectively. But I want you to know my general bias is leaning towards Xbox Microsoft throughout this podcast channel. But I'm not an Xbox Microsoft fanboy. I can be at times, but... That's just because the services benefit me. Anyway, so with that, those disclaimers out of the way, here's the breakdown. In, and I'm excited for this deal. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if you've heard my previous podcast, you know I want this to go through. I'm, I'm very excited for this, for the benefits and the pros of it as a consumer. But there are things I'm greatly worried about that make me wonder if it's worth all of this trouble. And we'll get into that. But here's here's the gist. In... January 17th of 2022, so a year and a half ago or so, um, Microsoft announced with their whole like flashy presentation, you know, the horizontal, the vertical slices of all the main dev studios and their main titles on display. Showing that they have acquired, or they have started, well, in their blog post, in Phil Spencer's uh, blog post on Xbox Forum that was republished throughout the fucking world, um, it was announced, don't mind my V8 energy here, uh, I wish I was sponsored by Campbell Soup Products, that'd be nice. Campbell Soup Products, where you don't expect soup to be. Anyway, um, Phil Spencer announced that Microsoft is under the is in process for acquiring Activision Blizzard King, ABK. So just understand when I say Microsoft or Xbox, that's it's all one the same thing. Microsoft owns Xbox; it's all the same thing. Sony, PlayStation, all the same thing. ABK or Activision or Blizzard or King is all the same thing. Activision Blizzard King is ABK, and that is what is being acquired. So Microsoft announced that they showed all the games. I mean. Remember, we're talking about the largest third-party publisher and developer in terms of revenue and pure IP demand and popularity in the world. Not the largest in terms of employees or staff, but the largest in terms of popularity and revenue. They have Call of Duty franchise, World of Warcraft, Diablo, Candy Crush, Overwatch, and so many, so many more. Throughout the years, so many in the back catalog that, you know, was killed or didn't see further success from Guitar Hero, to name a few. Uh, Spyro, right? Um, yeah, the list goes on and on. But Activision is, I mean, obviously most famously known for Call of Duty. And then Blizzard is Diablo, World of Warcraft, Overwatch, all those. Starcraft. I think, right? Is StarCraft, is that part of that? Is that, no, maybe, I thought that was Blizzard, right? Anyway, it's huge. They're huge. The money they generate from mobile alone 
is more money than most companies in America makes in a year. They make, or in a lifetime, they make in a year from two mobile games, Call of Duty Mobile and Candy Crush. I think they both, they net over $8 billion a year. Uh, mind you, a lot of that money is put back into reinvesting into the games that are more expensive, like the CODs and the Diablos and such. But still, that's a fuck ton of money from two mobile games a year. It's not always that much. It was a higher, that was taken in 2021. Obviously, it was higher, more people were home. Um, and COD Mobile just came out recently. So it was a little different. It'll, it'll ebb and flow. But my point is, a metric fuck ton of money is generated from them. And they are third party in the sense that they are not party or console exclusive. Their games are universally distributed through all platforms that can physically hold it or that have an agreement. So PlayStations, Xboxes, PCs, sometimes Switches, and and mobile and cloud. So it's insane, or sometimes cloud. And so it's an insane amount of infrastructure they have. You got to remember they're holding all these games within their servers and all these services and features. So they have a massive, massive global network infrastructure as well to boot for it. It's incredible. They have a fuck ton of problems, though. Let me go on record saying Bobby Kodak is horrible and should probably go to jail because of his sexual harassment allegations. They are allegations. They haven't been absolutely confirmed, but they're pretty damning. Sexual harassment, toxic workplace environment, mistreatment of employees, the list goes on and on. Activision Blizzard King is one of the worst companies to work at as an employee, and they treat their developers like slave labor, and it is atrocious. They also treat their consumers pretty poorly. They have terrible service when it comes to customer service. I mean, it's hit and miss. It can be great at times, but usually it's pretty bad. They release unfinished, unpolished, buggy games a lot of the times. They monetize everything. They have more storefronts and bloat for financial gain. They're a scummy and toxic company. But their foundation, their roots are phenomenal. We're talking, if you look back 15, 20 years, the origins of COD and World of Warcraft and Diablo come from some of the greatest minds and some of the greatest developers and passion in gaming history. It's what propped the foundation in which Activision Blizzard King stand on now. They have some of the best game franchises in the history of games out there. And to this day, they still have great games that come out. That is not to say that they don't. As I've been saying and playing a lot of Diablo 4, that's a Blizzard game, that's under ABK. One of my favorite games of the year. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's got its problems, sure, but it's pretty friggin' solid. Right? So, they're not all evil, but, especially the devs, but the execs are horrible. Luckily, if they get acquired, these execs are going to be cleared and removed immediately. The ones that have been doing the, the sexual misconduct and treating their employees horribly and making the, the shot, calling the shots on how to f monopolize and uh, milk every microtransaction. All of those people, the main culprits of those, are being yet, you know, yeeted, not yet. <laughs> so, yeah.
So, um, so that's good. And that's if that acquisition goes through. If not, they continue with their scrummy, crummy ways and no one will bat an eye. That's, of course, not the reason to, to want this acquisition, but it is a massive plus. But basically, Microsoft Xbox wants to acquire ABK for $70 billion of its acquisition value. That's its evaluation. That doesn't mean they're paying $70 billion cash up front. That's what they're valuing the company at for X amount of time and what they're willing to invest in it. That's how these things happen anyway. They still throw up a lot of money, though, you know, for upfront buyout cash. Anyway, so to buy that, the um, Activision, Bobby Kodak, all of them have agreed. Their execs have agreed to this acquisition. Their stockholders and investors have all agreed and have already voted. Almost every other regulatory body has agreed. You know, so yeah, uh, it's pretty much just down to the FTC. I think the even the CMA, CMA is that what they're called? The 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 EU regulatory commission, the the Britain and EU. Even they approved it, as long as there are some concessions and protections for Sony's sake. So I really do think it's just down to the FTC. And if they don't block it... See, all it takes is one government body, since this is a global company, and it involves everybody in the world, every country, because it's such a dominant force. Remember, Call of Duty is one of the most... Uh, successful franchised IPs in the world of all IPs, not just for video games. It's number one for video games, but it's like number seven or eight in the world. So it's behind Marvel and Star Wars and, and you know, whatever else. I don't know what number one would be. I have no idea. Maybe it's Marvel. I'm not sure. So anyway, this is a huge deal. This affects... Entertainment channels across the board, this affects monopoly and regulation laws and anti-competitive laws. This is a massive, massive acquisition, right? S akin to Disney acquiring Fox, which was huge for the film industry and actually gave way to way more acquisitions down the road. We're in a time of IP dominance, and that is more important than making good games. Or making original or good content. It's owning the libraries of content and the producers of that content as well. That is more valuable than gold itself. So let's get into some more of the specifics and the details and my thoughts on it all. Okay, so in these court cases and hearings, there's been a lot of damning evidence thrown around. But in the history of leading up to this, Sony has been trying to actively block this acquisition because, obviously, it affects them greatly. Um, it's a huge market share. Uh, and uh, as recently reported as of today, news broke that one million PlayStation console owners 
explicitly from metrics and statistics and surveys done, I, I assume, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I assume this is where they got this info, explicitly have a PlayStation console to play primarily Call of Duty since they come out every year. Um, and that's pretty much it. A million. Now, they have 100 million registered users. So I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but a million that a million console units sold is a lot. And if they're explicitly for one game franchise, let alone the other franchises under this uh, company's belt, that's a big deal. So Sony is not a fan of this, obviously. And I understand it. If, if the shoe was on the other foot, I'd be scared as a consumer. So, so yeah, anyway. Um, that's, that's like the big deal. Um, and, and I understand why it's a massive, like, I believe I read somewhere that, Call of Duty nets 30% of all digital sales on Sony PlayStation, 30 to 40, give or take, within a year. I don't know when that... Re I think that report was from 2021 analysis, so obviously things have changed. Um, but anyway, it's a lot. It's a, it's a very high amount of PlayStation Sony users who play Activision Blizzard-related games. The highest third-party game um, that's played are ABK games on Sony. And Call of Duty is almost always number one when it comes out and stays at the number one uh, store digital sales spot from for the rest of the year, you know, for, the, for three to four months at a time. That's huge huge um it's the same with xbox i mean call of duty is just so universally popular almost everyone who has a console will buy it even if they don't want to play it because their friends will have it you know what i mean so it's stuff like that so i understand why now i want to reiterate my theory that i said a year and a half ago to the date because I think this is important for you all to understand. Microsoft Xbox is not acquiring Activision Blizzard King for Call of Duty. Or for Diablo. Or for Overwatch. Now, obviously, you'd have to be a moron to not see that that is a huge benefit. That's like one of the greatest secondary benefits you could possibly get from acquiring this studio. Getting the most successful video game franchise in the history of mankind under you. That is a fucking feat. Remember, Microsoft is in charge of Halo, too. Now, it's been a shit show since 343 took over, but still. So they'd have Halo and Call of Duty and Doom and <laughs> fucking um, Wolfenstein. They'd have the four pillars of all FPS other and Quake. 
Five. They'd have the five most, the five founding fathers of FPS under them. That is massive just to think about, let alone all the other things they'd have. They have Elder Scrolls. They have Bethesda, id Software, Tango Gameworks. They've got their first party stuff. They have their franchises and IPs and so on and so forth. It's insane. The deals that they're able to strike with third party devs or indie devs for Game Pass exclusivity, exclusivity, I'm going to fuck up that word. That word always gets me. I know how to spell it and I know how to say it. I just I just can't say it properly sometimes. Exclusivity. Um, and uh, anyway... So yeah, that, that, that's, uh, my point is that it's huge for them to be acquiring this much. In fact, some would say, and, and I, I could see this point very much so, active, uh, Microsoft uh, Xbox has enough game studios and IP under them already. And I don't fully disagree and Microsoft Xbox will be the first to admit, as will I, as any logical person. Um, sorry. Lost my train of thought. But I, I think it makes sense for anybody to be worried about these acquisitions because the more that a company or an IP or a developer or a producer or a creator, the more they have to, when they're bought up and they're under this brand imagery, they do have to abide by that. Now, the benefits of acquisitions, the few that come of that is greater resources and internal networking potential, depending on the company that you're acquired by. Hopefully better pay, fair treatment, because usually when a company is acquired, they're acquired by a company much greater than them, so better resources, better support, and if you understand anything about video game development, you need to understand this, like many jobs, but especially in video game development, greater than any job, job security is one of the worst in video game development in that sector than any other job security. If you're a high-up dev or whatever, you will have status, you will have clout, and you will probably be able to get a next job. So once you make it, you make it, right? But it's just like anything else. It's just like being a musician or a singer or uh, an actor or a filmmaker or whatever. It is, it is the artistic creative sector of business. To become successful, you have to do a lot of work, right? Unfair, ungrueling, ungrueling, unfair, grueling hours, all this stuff, right? And hopefully you'll get paid well. Sometimes you're on a contract pay. It's usually what video game de developers are on. They're on a contract, so it, a term, and so they're getting paid. But they're getting paid okay, good enough to maybe live on, sometimes not great. They may get benefits, they may not. 
And then if they're if they have any stake in the publishing side of it, or if they're an indie studio, they are banking majority of their time, energy, and investment and opportunity cost on the sale of that game. If you're an indie dev studio and you're developing this game and you're putting three or four years of your life into it, you're putting full 18-hour, 12-hour, 10-hour, God willing, work days in it, you aren't getting paid for that usually if you're a small indie. Now, if you are already contracted, if you're under Microsoft, you are getting paid for that. Obviously, you're making a living you're, you're a Microsoft employee and you're getting those benefits, right? So there is some security there. You're not completely risking it all. But indie devs and, and f further financial success and safety is still dependent on the sale of the game. And it, it literally could be anything that could disrupt that sale. I, I bet you any game that came out right around Fortnite just got fucked over no matter how good it was or how much potential there was. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of job security, and it's a very difficult job. So I, I, I commend and applaud every video game developer because they, they do some incredible work. And uh, we all love and consume the art and entertainment and the media that they present. You know, I, I, of course, I commend filmmakers, television makers, all, all artists, all, all people in, in artist sectors around the world. But... Um, but right now, since we're talking video games, gotta give them a shout-out because that is tireless, thankless work. And that is work that you do not see the success or benefits or results on for years to come. Look at Diablo 4. Massively successful. One of Blizzard's most played games ever. Sold a shit ton. Good for them. They knew it was going to sell well because they could benchmark it off the previous three games that did well. They're Blizzard. They've got money. They've, they're doing okay. But their life, the, the main devs of this game primarily dedicated their time to Diablo 4 for 10 years. Do you know how much work that takes and how probably fucking exhausting that would be to work on one property? I couldn't do that. I, I could not focus and enjoy myself to work on one thing for 10 years. I have to finish something eventually and put it out there. I'm different. I'm my own thing, you know. Obviously, if it's my passion project or my magnum opus or something that was a big part of, I'd be willing to spend the time. But 10 years, nothing in the, in the fields that I'm working in professionally should ever take 10 years. Movies can, but they usually don't unless they're like Avatar or something like that. And usually by that term, I mean, Avatar actually, the sequel actually took 10 plus years to get, get around to. But um, 13 to be exact. Or 14. But... Uh, some movies, like when they say, like a, when it first comes out, when there's no sequels planned, when it's, like when the first Avatar came out, people were like, James Cameron wanted to make this, and it was in development for 15 years. Y yeah, it was. He was making other films. He wasn't solely working on this film. He was writing it out, making the ideas, building it out, really proof reading and checking everything, making sure it made sense, all that probably iterations up the ass, and trying to figure out if the technology behind it, how it would work pragmatically to shoot for 15 years. And then he, was just, he just kind of knew we had to wait for technology to get there. And then he knew it was close enough and he could make some leaps and, and kind of boost it. And man, he did. He changed the way we shoot films and television to this day, and video games for that matter. So they're all interconnected. My mediums that I work in, music, 
but primarily film and television and then rap and music. Those mediums are directly intertwined in so many ways with video games. It's astounding. So, it's fascinating to me. Anyway, job security is very risky. So one of the benefits of being acquired by a larger company is you have more security. You have better benefits, better pay, probably more work. It just depends. Also, when there's mergers or acquisitions, a lot of people get fired. It's unfortunate. Um, so larger in-house networking and resources, potential better pay and treatment of employees, potentially. It could be worse. It could be better. It depends on the company. But there's a potential upside to that, and that's huge. If the employees are getting better treatment, better working conditions, and better pay, to me, that almost just trumps everything else possible. Like, if the people who are creating the stuff we love are getting better treatment and better pay for it, I will always support that. But that's not always a guarantee and things change over time, so you never know for sure. But that's always a potential upside and it's a great one. Um, also, consolidation of the library uh, when it comes to IP and media forms. Um, if you're already subscribed as a consumer, the benefits of a consumer is if you're already invested in that ecosystem and you're subscribed to that streaming service or subscribed to that hardware or whatever it may be, you will get the benefits that was from that other company funneled through this one. It might change a bit, but you will get it. Like if you didn't have Discovery Plus and you wanted that for some odd reason, you now have that if you had HBO Max because of that uh, kind of weird merger, even though I don't agree with how everything went down. And they're doing this horrible thing in film and television right now, which everyone needs to be aware of and start protesting against and trying to find ways to go against the grain here. I don't know how, you know. Shout out to the people doing the WGA strike, because that's always great, but that's a different matter. But there's this issue where, especially with Warner Bros. and Disney, they are pulling, specifically and more so original content, but they are pulling content from their streaming services that way, popular content too, beloved content. That way, they don't have to pay royalties to those who have uh, royalties built into their contracts. So they're saving millions and millions and millions of dollars a year doing that. It's horrible. Because when these contracts of royalties and stuff were written up, they, streaming didn't exist for the most part. Or even if it did, there was no specific jargon and framework for how streaming would be implemented in that. So they're able to just, like a, like Westworld, one of my favorite HBO shows, at least the first three seasons, especially the first two. Um, it got pulled from HBO Max. So unless you have it, have bought it digitally or physically, you can't watch Westworld, which is a shame because it is one of their best shows and it's huge. It's a huge show. They just didn't want to pay it, and they weren't going to continue the show anyway. It didn't have to... I mean, it had to partially do with them being canceled. They canceled the show, so if they don't cancel the show, obviously they have to keep it up there. And that was the big fear for a lot of people when, when we started investing in streaming services. And here's what I'll always, always tell people. Don't be afraid of what you don't know and what you can't control. Just be aware and skeptical of it and prepare for the worst. Hope for the best, right? General life things to live by, and that's how I operate. 
And in terms of media, television, video games, all that, and collections of such, and owning that, understand the hardware you own and how it can boot what you want to consume, and then understand what you are investing your money in. Here's the thing. I, I have a movie collection. I'm very proud of it. Right? A lot of it's the movies I've been building up since I was little. Movies and television. And my uncle gave me his huge collection. And I, you know, my parents' collection. So it's absorbed into this huge collection. I'm very proud of it. I'd be very sad if something happened to it. Very sad. But I'd live nonetheless. Here's the thing. As long as I have a DVD player that isn't locked. It, it, there's no, it's not, it's like as long as I have a, can have a DVD player or a Blu-ray player at the very least, I'm good. I don't, my discs don't get lost, broken, or damaged. I guess they could be, but if they were... Oh, well, but as long as I have a DVD player that doesn't require to always be online or have a subscription service to boot up the DVD player, I'm fine. I can always watch those forms of media as long as I have that physical means. And I do. I have multiple types of DVD players. So what I would say is if you watch something on a streaming show and you're worried that whether for licensing reasons or for just general reasons it gets pulled or you're worried about that or you know it's going to happen and you don't know if it'll ever come back on a different streaming service or it'll come on something you don't have buy it and buy it in a format that you can have more control and access over if a company changes their mind buy it on dvd is it less convenient yeah can you watch it on your phone probably not Oh, well, at least you have it so you can watch it at some point if it's that special to you. Obviously, don't do that with everything. You'll go broke. And that's the beauty of streaming. It's really an incredible thing. Think about it. I mean, we used to either had to pay individually per episode or per season or per movie for video on demand, and it only lets you watch and only lets you have it for 72 hours or 24 hours or whatever the case may be. And then... Um, and or you bought it digitally, which is always still an option and actually a very good option to have. Or you had it physically. So you either rented it digitally, rented it physically, or bought it digitally and bought it physically. There is no monthly subscription where you pay $10 and you have access to everything in that catalog. Think of it like this. For those who know video rental stores, which I miss, miss dearly, I wish we could go back and have a few of those still in, in place. But like your Blockbuster, your family video, your... I wouldn't say Redbox really counts, but I guess, sure. But an actual video store, okay? Imagine you get to go in there and you pay a fee as a, as a premium member to this store, to this chain. You pay 10 or $15 a month and you can take home as many movies and shows from their thing as you damn well please. As many as you want for $10 a month, you can watch them. You just have to return them in the same condition you got them, and you have to return them, you know, obviously by a certain date because they need it to be available for more people. If you're an avid movie watcher or TV show watcher, you would absolutely do that. Are you kidding me? You don't have to pay two bucks per video, you just paid a flat rate monthly. So as long as you consume the general value of what that would be per 
film or television episode or series to make your monies back in a month, you're fine. Or in a year, depending on how you want to calculate it. The value of that is incredible. Of course, that would never work in a video store. That'd put them out of business. And then Netflix came along. And that's exactly what they did. $7 a month, I believe, was when they started. And you'd get DVD shipped to you. Uh, and, and other things. Incredible. Just an incredible deal. And that's why we have streaming services now. And I know I'm going off on a tangent, but this is all interconnected. This is all very uh, important because this directly connects with video games and why Microsoft is aiming for Activision Blizzard King. So just bear with me. So video games started figuring this out and said, okay, well, we can... Because video games are so expensive. And you could rent video games at video stores, too, for cheaper. But then once the 7th gen consoles, Xbox One and PlayStation 4 came out, because they're so dense, you'd still have to download the data. You, the disc was the license and had a little bit of data on it, a gigabyte, maybe two, to boot everything. And basically had the downloader in there. And then you'd download the rest of the data from that's zipped up and compressed. I remember that was a huge change. We used to just play video games, just pop them in and play them, but they were so much smaller then. You can't, you physically cannot fit that much data on a disc. And unlike VHS and cassette tapes and all these other things and laser discs and floppy disks, just general discs that we have now, DVD, video game, whatever, are still so, were so highly produced, still higher quality for delivering it in a, in a, you know, small carbon footprint as possible. And um, so, so much development in disk drives and the improvement of disk drives have been implemented for 20 years that it would be very, very, very difficult to just switch the physical medium and have something new. You could say SD cards or microchips, right? Kind of like with the little Nintendo Switch physical media. That would be extremely convenient. That would boot faster. It'd be so much smaller to be able to not have as much plastic and shit produced by it. And you wouldn't need a whole spinning disk drive. You wouldn't be at risk of all those. Uh, it'd save a lot on that development. You just need a little SD card slot and you just pop it in. And if you have a universal SD card reader on your devices, say your Xbox and PlayStation just has an SD card thing. Two. One for storage, one for booting up games. And you just have an SD card to boot up your game, like a Switch. That would be very cool. Once And that can hold a crap ton of data. So it kind of makes a logical sense. But the problem is the technology that it's used to make that work is so rare and difficult to, to manufacture. It's the same microchips and processing computers and parts and components that are used in your phone and inside supercomputers. So it's valuable. Okay. Apologies for the interruption. So, streaming is a very convenient and viable process. And from a consumer standpoint, it's, it's great. You know, it saves you a lot of money. And of course, if you really love something, you can always just buy it outright. 
So when games started figuring this out, and, and since more games switched to digital sales and digital downloads and all that, uh, and Game Pass came out and a couple other streaming servi game services like that, and now, more than ever, every major company will try to have their own, I, I assume, or try to have a spot on the big console owners. So Sony has their uh, Essentials, or PlayStation Plus, I forget what you call it. Now they've kind of switched back and forth with terminology. Uh, Xbox has Game Pass. Um, and there's a couple others, especially on the cloud side of things, where you can stream your games from a server, on the go, on your phone, on whatever, on minimal hardware. So it's more accessible to everybody. As long as you have a solid internet connection, which is a huge catch. But the point is that people, including my family, got worried because, you know, I used to have physical games. And they're like, well, that's cool if you want to, you know, save all that money, which a lot more money you save from streaming video games than compared to movies and television. Depending on your consumption, I guess. But, um, so the question is then, like, well, you can still buy video games and own them, but with video games more specifically, if that company goes out of business, that disc won't read on any disc player. If it's a console game, if it's a PlayStation game or Xbox game, it won't read in a PlayStation or Xbox or in a regular DVD player. You can't play it. So if one of those companies goes out of business, all those games are mute. You've lost your collection, regardless, digital and physical, because it, that physical disc is the license and allows you to download the game and boot it up. So it really is locked. So there's less control you have over that situation. Now, obviously, Sony and Microsoft Activision, they're not going anywhere. Microsoft, not Activision, Microsoft and Xbox, they're not going anywhere. So there's really no concern for that. But if they decide to pull something from the digital storefront, you know, what are you going to do? You just can't play that game anymore. And so some people are like, well, the downside with Game Pass are games go away. Well, sure. Yeah. License expire or they pull the game. Of course. For one, it'll let you know way in advance. Even if you don't check the games leaving soon, it'll tell you because it'll know you're playing that game from Game Pass. And it'll tell you, hey, this game leaves at the end of the month. And if you really love it, you can buy it. So you can play it whenever, digitally, right? And you'll get it 20% off. So, but it's not even like, it's not even like a trial. You know, a trial is a couple days, maybe a week or X amount of hours. It's not even like that. Like one of my favorite games I've played from Xbox Game Pass was Remnant from the Ashes. I fell in love with this game. I beat it in a week. It was on Xbox Game Pass for two and a half years. I beat it, and I'm like, I love this game so much, and if it goes away... So I bought the complete edition on sale. Half off on sale on a, just a general store discount, and then 20% off on top of that since I had it on Game Pass. So I got 70% off. I paid uh, like 15 bucks for it, or 20 bucks, Something like that. Something crazy. Good, good deal. And I've played it since then. Got through all the DLC. It's great. And now they get a second one coming out. I'm so, so excited. Anyway, so, um, it's, it's a very cool thing. Especially for newcomers. Like, if I got a PlayStation 5, I would most definitely subscribe to their service. Because I'd get to play 
God of War, Last of Us, Spider-Man, all these cool games. I wouldn't have to buy them to build up my library. That's 60 to 70 bucks a pop. And I would be buying a PlayStation 5 to play those games. I would not buy a PlayStation to play the third-party games that I could have or play on Xbox. That's a waste of my money and time. So, console exclusivity is a big factor in market pull. Ecosystem features, hardware, but they're pretty much com um, pretty much the very, very similar, very same in terms of performance. It actually more so has to do with the game. It has to do with the ecosystem. If you have friends on Xbox and you want to play and try and go through a lot of different games and experiment, Xbox might be the platform for you, especially with Game Pass. And if you're kind of on a budget too, so two, three hundred bucks and you can have a Series S, which is a next-gen console through and through. It runs insanely well. We're talking stable 60, great graphics, 1440p. You don't need 4K gaming. Um, buttery smooth, super fast. All digital, no disk drive, but $300 for a brand-new next-gen console. So it's $200 cheaper than the PS5. And the Xbox Series X, which is the bigger, more powerful, more disk drives. Now, developers have apparently complained. There have been reports of developers complaining about how difficult it is to port games to Series S to make it fit their requirements for that, as opposed to Series X and PlayStation 5 and PC. There have been reports of that. It's been like three developers, and they were all on the same game. Last I've heard of that. I, I could be, there could be more updates. I'm not saying it is easy, and I'm not saying, but it has the same internal shit that the Series X has. It just doesn't have a disk drive and doesn't have as much horsepower behind it. It doesn't have as much graphic, in, graphic processing power. It is a, it is like 30% or 40% weaker. Now, if I was just playing Xbox, I would, and that's all, I would shell the extra bucks and have the Series X. If that was my main and only big console but i have a pc so i'm good so series s it's also super small folks like you can pick up the series s and with one hand it's tall it's about an inch and a half two inches tall when laying horizontally so it's a thick thing but it's it's wide it's but it's light it's it's very small um it's hard to explain unless you have one or have seen one in person because the advertisements and pictures do not do it justice on how friggin' small it is, which makes it all the more impressive of how much power it has behind it and how efficient it is. I, I didn't plan on getting one. My parents got me one um, by surprise. I was very thankful for it because uh, me and my buddies bought one of my friends one and for his birthday. And, um, yeah, and he loved it and it's super powerful, all that. I'm like, that's cool. And I was just going to stick on my old Xbox and just mainly get stuff on PC and hope there's more crossplay stuff. But there isn't enough crossplay stuff yet. It'll be a few more years. There's getting more. It's getting better. And uh, my parents kind of was like, yeah, this is cheap and had a hell of a year. Anyway, so I got that to my surprise. I was very, very thankful for that. And um, you can get two Series S's, which are 
really good. Uh, just a little over for the price of one Series X. <laughs> so it's an insane amount of value. Not much storage space. They have that new one coming out that's uh, 50 bucks more, and you get a terabyte worth of storage. I wish they just had that at launch. I understand they're doing that to boost sales. I get it, but I do wish this one had a terabyte, but it's actually it's completely manageable with the 450 operating gigs, uh, 450 gigs worth of storage available internally. I have an external hard drive too, so I just transfer games between that. Anyway, so my point is it's super powerful, and it's a, it's a really good console. Completely streaming, no disk drive, so it is dependent on internet. Or once I have a game downloaded, if it's an offline game, I'm fine. Whole other issue for offline play and availability. They need that to be more robust in general. Cross-play and offline options. But anyway... So Microsoft is doing good in hardware department, but they don't even hold close to PlayStation, and they knew they wouldn't. PlayStation 4 dominated that and won that console uh, toss-up, and Xbox knew they had to switch gears, and they started in 2018. Now, they weren't going to stop making good Xbox console hardwares for them, for the, the folks that do that, because still plenty of people buy Xboxes. But they are switching to a cloud and and more service-based approach similar to apple apple still puts out new macs new ipads new watches phones all that and there are significantly more powerful and have new features and all that and it's all really cool but it's every year it's not like a console it's every year it's more like a car and so when your phone is ready to kick the bucket you just get whatever's the most appropriate for your price range and for the features Right, But Apple is more invested in their services. Cloud, iCloud, uh, privacy, protection, S the SMS, um, you know, all these software and general features. You know, Apple TV, files, and streaming, all these things. Um, so Microsoft Xbox took that approach to heart in 2016, 2017, and, and then really started putting in the money in 2018. Game Pass has been reported a massive net loss in the first few years. Now, they still make a shit ton of money from Game Pass and hardware combined, where they're still in the positive but uh, overall. But, um, but, that's, but they're saying it's a net loss compared to if they sold every game at full digital market. But, but that's not a fair equation because you're not going to get as many sales. It's so much easier for people to pay 10 or 15 bucks a month and to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of high-quality games of all kinds, not just Microsoft exclusives uh, and first-party titles, at your disposal to play when and where you please as long as you have the subscription. It's the price of two brand-new games or so, just a little more than that, maybe two brand-new games and one $30, $40 game. That's the full price in a year. And if you're a gamer, if you're a hobby enthusiast and you play enough and experiment enough, it, it makes your value back. And I've talked about that tenfold. The value of time and money for Game Pass for me is worth it. For others, I can understand it's not worth it. For those who just want two games, they're Madden and they're COD, absolutely Game Pass is not worth it. But it might be because now 
you pay for it. And if this ABK deal goes through with EA Play bundled in there, you can get Madden now on Game Pass a few months after it comes out, if you don't mind waiting. And um, if depending on how the deal goes through, if this merger goes through, you could probably get Call of Duty. Would it be day one Game Pass? I don't know. I don't know how they're going to be able to strike that deal. So it's a huge benefit. So they switched to this service, and they've been building it up and investing in it. And they're not investing it short-term. They are investing it long-term. They are, they are more long-term strategic thinking than most. But the problem is the video game industry is so volatile and can switch on a dime so quickly that long-term thinking only works so long in the future. You genuinely don't know what's to come. But these FTC hearings and discussions of this acquisition have really brought to light how much these companies and corporations know and how much they discuss and plan, really plan this out. You know, sometimes it feels like from a consumer level, you look at these companies and they're like, oh, they're just buying them because the IP, oh, yeah. And like, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of forethought. Like we know logistically you have to have some forethought and plans and, but we don't know how much analysis and work goes into figuring out what's worthy of acquisitions or buying or investing in. But these FTC hearings have really brought to light how much they really fucking think about the future. And how much they're safeguarding themselves from potential failure in the future more so than focusing on the present. Which could be a detriment in the future. It's a weird loop. So, Microsoft's trying to acquire Activision Blizzard King for $70 billion. Sony PlayStation is did acquire Bungie, which is hilarious because Bungie was originally an Xbox thing. They created Halo, the flagship franchise for Microsoft. Then they split off. Then they got acquired or partnered with Activision to create Destiny and Destiny 2 and a lot of Destiny 2. And then they split off a year or two years ago now from Activision and became their own self-published, self-developed thing and said, we'll never go through being owned by another company again. And Sony's like, hey, we have $4 billion here. Do you want to come join us? And they did. So I think Bungie is the only company that has had so much power and has been able to develop for Microsoft, Activision Blizzard, and Sony, which is fucking hilarious that they've bounced between all of them. Crazy. Bungie is an incredible developer. So kudos to them. And PlayStation has said that uh, they plan on keeping Marathon, Bungie's new or renewal of this old IP, um, on all platforms. So that's good. Cause, uh, and I think that's partially Bungie's negotiation because Bungie wants more players to play and Sony understands the value of Destiny being available on all platforms. Fiscally, it always makes more sense. The more access people have, especially if they're already networked and tapped in, why would you cut that money off? If you own it, you get the money from that, even if you are not the creator of that. So there's a difference between having massive passive revenue feeding into your company from the shares of what you own, and then there's a difference between forcing players and forcing um, competitors to lose their own f ecosystem and fan base and clientele to join you because you have something that they want that they don't have. It's two separate strategies, and they can be implemented at the same time, but they, they have to be done properly. Remember, 
First-party console exclusives are only a small percentage of the reason why players will buy a new console, but it still can be a reason. I think it's up to 15 to 20 percent. Um, certain players will just... But it's not for one exclusive, it's for a myriad of the exclusives that come with that. And PlayStation knocks it out of the park. Their first-party exclusives are really well-made, high-quality, and really fulfill everybody's desires to play them. Last of Us. God of War. Um, what else? Gran Turismo, Spider-Man. Um, I'm blanking on a lot of them. Returnal, Ghost of Tsushima. There's so many. So many. I mean, it's impressive. Horizon, Forbidden West, and Zero Dawn, all of that. The Horizon franchise. Um... Yeah, so it's impressive, to say the least. It really is. Also, their exclusive deals and timed and limited exclusives on so many games, especially Japanese games. You look at Bloodborne. From Software is not an exclusive dealer, um, but that is a PlayStation-only game. That's impressive. So, things like that. There's a lot of that. Especially with the Spider-Man stuff and, and all that. So, um, when we're talking about first-party exclusives from Microsoft, it's a lot of potential to come down the pipeline. But it hasn't been very resounding in the past six, seven years. And it's been a massive downside. Right? I mean, Microsoft has Halo, which, you know, Master Chief Collection is now good. Halo Infinite from gameplay is good, but everything else falls short. So that's a big one. Gears of War, haven't seen a new one in a while, but there's Gears of War and there's Forza. And there's a handful of others, but those are the big hitters. I can't say that any of those hold a candle to God of War or Spider-Man. Now, I don't really care about those exclusives. Like, yes, I want to play God of War. I want to play Spider-Man. I can because I have a PC, and I will eventually. Last of Us, all that. Uh, and it matters. I'm not saying it doesn't, but I personally, like, Elden Ring was my game of the year. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Diablo 4, I'm having a blast with. So, like, a lot of games that are just available to everybody, I, I really love. And I'm glad that everyone else can play them. Unless you're on Switch. Sorry, Switch folks. But not too sorry, because you guys get, like... I have a Switch, but I don't play it that much. And I, I simply just... Expensive. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. That's the gist of that. So, console exclusives are a big deal. Call of Duty is the biggest franchise ever. If that goes console exclusive to Xbox, you're going to see a massive dent in sales. There is something to be said about Call of Duty. With all the hate and all the shit it gets, it still outsells. Remember, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, the most recent entry, came out in the first 10 days. It crossed a billion dollars. 10 days, and that fucking game made a billion dollars? It wasn't streaming, it wasn't discounted, that's a full $70 price game. 
And that was before this, before a lot of the shop opened up. There's some microtransactions, but not a lot. So it wasn't season passes, you know, unless you got like deluxe editions and stuff. The first season didn't kick off until like a month in. So that's insane. That's so many people. And that's Call of Duty in kind of a slump. Billion dollars in 10 days. So you don't think if that went exclusive to either side, Sony or Microsoft, that that would cause a massive lapse in the other's fan base where a shit ton of people would just be forced to? And mind you, it's not going to be like, oh, all of a sudden. No, it'll be years and years of, of, it, of like knowledge towards it. massive market control so you look at that so here's the thing if this deal goes through here's what you could look at in the next seven years so the next gen console cycle that comes out for sure if the abk deal goes through you could see the next iteration of overwatch whatever that is the next iteration of world of warcraft whatever that is the next iteration of diablo or the dlc for diablo whatever whatever that is possibly the next Call of Duty, which obviously there'd be like seven or eight more, or if they go on a two or three year cycle, which I'm hoping they do if they get acquired, maybe three or four more. Uh, so the, the next Call of Duty, Elder Scrolls Six, and the next Fallout, and a couple other things, of course, all being first party exclusive to Microsoft and PC. So specifically Windows operated PC. Um, that would be huge. There's no doubting that that would, that would, that would sell a metric fuck ton of units. You know what I mean? And then with that capital, if they also found timed exclusive deals, like if, if they found a way to pin a deal with Rockstar to have timed exclusive for a GTA 6 to be only on Xbox for the first six months or the first year, holy fuck. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. That would be unfair. That would force a lot of PlayStation players to invest in Xbox. And if they said that some of those games you can only play on Xbox and only with Game Pass, it would force a lot of people who don't have Game Pass to buy Game Pass on Xbox, and it would force a lot of people who buy a new Xbox to get it with Game Pass. And if they own these companies and they can pin these deals with this capital, they could do that. And I understand that is a massive fear because that is unfair as fuck. I'd be pissed if PlayStation did something like that. And I think anyone should be upset if that much control from one company could be leveraged over the consumer basis on franchises that used to be available to all. So if they wanted to make a power play like that, they could. Because as many people play God of War and Spider-Man, more people play Call of Duty. And more people will play Elder Scrolls Six. And speaking of that, let's get into some of the previous history of Microsoft's acquisition and what I think the future 
can spell out for this deal. And I'll go more in depth about this actual FTC deal. I apologize for delaying and not, but this isn't just like regurgitating what was said in the hearing. You can look all that up, but I've got some notes on that too. So don't worry. So I'm going to go through that and we'll talk about Microsoft's previous acquisition history. My thoughts really getting the nuts and bolts of ABK's deal, but I just wanted to set the stage. I wanted to give context and history, right? The console wars, the exclusive deals, the importance, the marketing brand value, the IP, the side of the developers, what that can kind of look like, as well as the importance of streaming and cloud because cloud mobile streaming, that is the actual reason why Microsoft is investing in ABK because of Candy Crush, because of COD Mobile, because of their server clientele, and because of the potential for cloud service-based gaming and mobile gaming. And that has been the concern lobbied by so many other countries and regulatory bodies of will you be dominating and monopolizing the cloud and mobile creation space. So we'll get into all that. Stick around. Okay, I forget that there's no ads. So please listen, go back, listen to other episodes. Help me get to the criteria. I have to have 100 listens within 90 days. I haven't been uploading as consistently um, to re to reapply my passive ads. You know, I get very little pay. You know, it's not and it's not that much. But I'd love to be monetized again. So please support where you can. Anyway, so I've talked about the history, some of the context, my kind of my disclaimers and my bias. Um, but yeah, the importance of video games and the markets in general, the streaming and the change of streaming and physical media, just kind of refresher on why that's such a pivotal point with cloud and mobile and all that going forward. And kind of the, the massive fears and perspectives that could be seen on both sides of this fight over this acquisition. Once again, Microsoft Xbox is in hearings with the FTC trying to figure out and trying to get approved this $70 billion acquisition. Um, so yeah, um, it is a big deal. It's a huge, huge deal. It's a huge valuation of the company as a whole. So let me go over some of my notes in terms of what we've heard from this FTC hearing. A lot of stuff has been unredacted. First and foremost, as I've said before, I am against massive monopolies uh, and takeovers and you know re reduction in original content and independent freedom for artists. I am against that as a whole. Um, as a consumer, as an Xbox player, I do see the benefits in this for me personally, so it's harder to be against this, but I do, I do fear some of the implications of this because honestly, if they acquire all this and get all this content and all of its dog shit truly to the fullest and there's nothing to be done, then they just destroyed another entire company and it's a big one. I don't think that would happen, but it's still a problem. Um... Here's some things from the FTC hearings that have been shown through emails and files, all confirmed data, all public info, so you can go check that out at your discretion. So here's some of the stuff in summary. In the FTC hearings, Jim Ryan, the head of Sony's PlayStation, admitted in an email that 
if this deal goes down, and this was a year ago now, uh, it'll be okay. Not ideal, he doesn't want that to happen, but he'll be okay. They've got bigger things on the way that they're excited about as Sony. He also said that he stated in the email, and he has stated in other files that have been shown to the court, it isn't about exclusivity for Xbox Microsoft, and that isn't actually a fully legitimate threat. That it's the investment in the future of IP control, cloud domination, and that kind of thing. That's really what they're going after. Jim Ryan, the head of Sony PlayStation, knows that even though for the past year he's been touting that Microsoft will control and make COD and all these other things exclusive to Xbox and PC. So he knows deep down that's not really what it's about. I think that's a huge, huge, huge remark that should really, really invalidate a lot of his public statements. And he should apologize to PlayStation fans for misleading them into thinking that Microsoft is doing this for something that he knows is not true, that Microsoft has clearly stated numerous times in a legal sense, right? But also in other senses, that they would not do it this way, at least not for the foreseeable future of 10 years, which is plenty of time. Anyway, um... Sony has, in many cases, made malicious market control uh, practices in terms of purposefully blocking Game Pass's viability and success. They have seen Game Pass as being the number one contender to their viability in the marketplace for its offerings on high-quality games, for its low, low costs, and its accessibility across the board, especially with Game Pass Ultimate allowing xCloud streaming which is still in beta and still getting work, working out the kinks, but it works pretty well considering. They're very, Sony and PlayStation is very threatened by that, and you know they just started launching their own counterpart to Game Pass, which is great in its own regard, but it's more expensive. It doesn't have quite as many other types of games, and it's even lacking and limiting in terms of PlayStation's offers. Uh, I think the biggest loss on that is if you're subscribed to that and you're paying 20 or $18 a month or whatever, um, which Game Pass Ultimate's going to get a $2 price bump to $17 or $18. So even its new most expensive tier at its price bump is still cheaper than its... is still cheaper or nearly as cheap as its baseline standard of three tiers for PlayStation's equivalent, which I think is important to understand. PlayStation is charging more. Um, but here's the thing. Their first-party exclusives, the ones that you really want to have this uh, streaming service for, in my opinion, if you were to have it, on day one, you still have to pay $70. You don't get the game day one. Some of my buddies who have PlayStations were like, what? What do you mean? They're like, no, you, you don't get... Because I asked them about it. I'm like, it seems like a cool service. I might get that if I ever, if I ever could, if it ever comes to PC. I mean, it seems cool. Um... And I'm like, do you get the games day one, too? And they're like, what do you mean day one? I'm like, well, like, if a new God of War comes out. Like, if you had that service, which I don't think was available before God of War Ragnarok, but hypothetically, if you did, would you get God of War Ragnarok day one? For no additional cost, because you're paying the, the service. And they're like, no, no, you get the collection of games. I'm like, but if you're a PlayStation avid consumer and which are probably the highest and easiest demographic to buy that subscription service don't you already own the majority of those games and they're like yeah i'm like so why are you buying that service i'm like there's a couple i don't own i'm like well that's fair i get that and if there's some you really want knock yourself out if you have the funds but what the fuck <laughs> 
you still have to buy those games, and that's still the case. And Sony has stated time and time again they're not going to change their stance on that. They will, but they're not going to for the foreseeable future. For context on Game Pass Ultimate, if you have the Game Pass Ultimate, you won't have to do that. Excuse me for one second. Apologies for the interruption. I had a doorbell ring. Anyway, um, so that's a big thing. I mean, if you get Game Pass of any kind, any version, and it's a new game that's coming out that's first-party exclusive or sometimes has a deal inked, even if it's not first-party exclusive, and it comes out day one, you just download it and play it for a long time. Like, it could be there for a year or two years or longer. Maybe shorter, but usually they last at least a year. Just plenty of time. Um, so yeah, and it's a guaranteed. And, and unless they ch if they change that, they're going to really hurt themselves. I don't see them doing that. It's kind of the appeal to that. And they'll show you. I mean, there's other games. I mean, Payday 3, Starfield, Life of P. Those are all coming day one Game Pass. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is coming day one Game Pass on consoles. Sometimes it's just on consoles. Sometimes it's on PC. Sometimes it's on console, cloud, and PC. I wish Texas Chainsaw Massacre, since it's crossplay, would also be Xbox PC. I, I don't quite know why it couldn't do that as well. Um, maybe it is. Maybe we just don't know yet. Maybe it's just not on the storefront. But it doesn't seem like it will be for whatever reason. But it's coming to console. Game Pass day one. And then 400 other games. Exo Prime. I mean, folks, these are games that are brand spanking new. That aren't out yet. That will be hot topics. That will be big, big purchase items. And they're not even... The ones I just said, none of them are first party. By Xbox. They're all third party. So they don't just do day one for the first party. That's a guaranteed. If it's a, I mean, Starfield's first party now, but that's a guaranteed. So if it's, if it's first party, by that I mean if they own the company outright, like Bethesda, right? Like id or whatever. That's a guarantee. And their library of games that are on there will stay there. That's another huge fucking point no one's talking about in these hearings that I've heard of, and no one, no other commentary for these FTC hearings. There's so much revenue generation that people don't account for from people repurchasing or buying or buying on a new device or buying for a friend or new, you know, kids wondering what all the hype's about. Older Activision games, specifically COD games. Black Ops 1, Black Ops 2. Now, obviously, they're not selling as well as they did when they first came out, but they're still selling better than a lot of indie games ever wished they could 10, 12, 15 years later. Enhanced versions or, or just old classic versions. I, or, you know, when the dust settles or you didn't snag that card, you might go back. I bought Black Ops 3. I never had Black Ops 3. I missed it. And I bought it on Xbox. Got it on sale to play the COD Zombies with my buddies. It's been a blast. Very much worth the purchase. Very happy I did that. I did that a year ago, year and a half ago. Great fun. Um, folks, I can't tell you. And, and because so many people switch consoles and all these other things, the value of if they're, even if they're not allowed to have day one of the new COD, it might just be, it might be on Game Pass in the first few months. 
which I think is ridiculous. I think if they own Activision Blizzard, if Microsoft owns them, the new COD should be day one on Game Pass. That's like a great appeal. means every Xbox and PC player doesn't have to buy a new COD. It will still be on PlayStation day one. It's not that it won't be on it. it won't, it's not that it won't be that it's exclusive. PlayStation would, by far, if they owned Activision Blizzard, if they got this deal, they would absolutely not make it day one to, to download on their essentials. They would make you still buy it for $70, and it would not be on Xbox. It might be on PC. It might be on other platforms, but it wouldn't be on Xbox consoles. They would just say it's exclusive to PlayStation and PC. They're doing that right now with their other stuff. So for Sony to be saying, oh, it's unfair. Microsoft has stated that at least for the next seven to ten years, give or take, depending on the deal negotiator, or five years maybe, but PlayStation wants more time, understandable, so even ten years, that it will still be coming to PlayStation consoles. And then after that ten years up, they will negotiate and see where they're at. See if they can strike another deal, which they most likely will. Microsoft wouldn't give up that money. They'd give exclusive benefits and features, but that is the m smartest way and the most m middle of the road. And for PlayStation Sony to not understand how much of a deal this still is, even though they're losing, and they're not used to losing like this, if this deal goes through, if I was in charge of Microsoft, I would make sure I could even contractually, legally, be able to have the newest Call of Duty come day one to Game Pass. PC and Xbox, fully cross-play, all of that, all the same things you'd want from a COD, and you could just download. You can even pre-install the week before. And it still be on PlayStation for the same price. So nothing changes for PlayStation, to be fair. The company changes, but nothing from a PlayStation consumer. You would still be able to plot buy, pre-order, and play Call of Duty the same way you've been able to do for the past 20 years. Nothing will change of that. The only difference is that if you have an Xbox and PC, or if your buddies do, they don't have to pay $70 flat to, to download that game. They pay $15 a month to download that game and in numerous other games. Or $20 a month. Whatever. And that's by their choice. If they don't want to choose that, then they'd have to buy it outright if they don't have Game Pass. You know what I mean? So, um, it's still on PlayStation, still being sold there. And uh, still being sold fully on Xbox and PC and all that. But then if you have Game Pass on PC or Xbox, you're paying that, you get day one download. No additional cost. Because it could just be a situation where they could just say it's not coming to PlayStation at all. I mean, I don't think they'd be able to get this acquisition deal through if they said that. But they could in the future just say, yeah, it's never coming to PlayStation again. It's only PC Xbox exclusive, and it's Game Pass Day 1. That's a far worse situation for PlayStation to not ever be able to get Call of Duty back on their consoles again. They don't have the capital to buy that out. They'd have to pay Microsoft to be allowed to have COD back on them. That'd be a massive hit if you can't play Call of Duty on PlayStation. So, that's what could happen. And I understand that that's kind of a fear, but I also know that PlayStation deep down knows Microsoft won't really do that. 
Microsoft has no reason to do that. That's illogical for them. But if they get this deal and they own that company, they could. It's their company. They could do whatever they want with it. Well, not whatever, but you know what I mean. They can control the content they see fit. PlayStation would do that in a heartbeat. Do not be mistaken. They just don't have the capital to do so, but they do have the intent and the heart too. They absolutely would. So don't be mistaken. Um, okay, so here's the thing. Let's go more into the notes I have on the FTC hearings. Um, so Sony has made, has blocked numerous games from coming to Game Pass by paying the devs or the publishers to, to not put it on Game Pass or not put it on Xbox at all. Final Fantasy is one example of that. Um, they've been going back and forth of Call of Duty license. Is it five years, seven years, ten years? They've been going back and forth. Phil and Jim Ryan have shown the emails now, have, have shown that, um, this was a pretty pretty damning news last week. Um, Sony refused to send development kits, which usually do to the publisher or the devs of the game, so they can optimize and, and port that game to that said hardware. So they refused to send PS5 dev kits to Mojang to develop Minecraft for a PS5 with all the enhancements and features and, and bonuses that you'd get from booting it on a PS5. So right now, as it stands, you can still play Minecraft on PlayStation, but you're playing a PS4 version of it. You can still play it on your PS5, I, I believe, but it's just a downgraded, less features. And that's not because Microsoft didn't offer to do that. They offered to have a PS5 version, possibly for sale or for free upgrade. I'm not sure on the sale price of it for a consumer, but they offered that as dev kits and Sony refused it. Um, a while ago, and this is a, this is, uh, almost a year ago now, so this is really old news, but there was a 10-year contract that was delivered to say, if you sign this from the date of acquisition on, I believe is the date of acquisition, or it could have been from the date of the announcement of the acquisition, which kind of choosing that timeline makes it more eight to seven years, but, uh, nonetheless, there is a contract sent to... NVIDIA, interesting enough, and I'll get into that in a second, uh, Nintendo and Sony PlayStation for from Microsoft to say, hey, if we acquire Activision Blizzard, if you sign this, we'll guarantee COD to come same day, no exclusivity uh, deals where you're not getting COD on your platforms for 10 years. And we can negotiate further when we hit that point. Nintendo signed it. Nintendo signed it. Um, NVIDIA signed it. PlayStation Sony did not sign it. Possibly because they want to leverage the media, because they're more focused on leveraging it in a way where they can make it seem like Microsoft's playing aggressive and they can stop the entire acquisition going through at all, which is more beneficial to them, of course. If they signed that, that would be such damning evidence and pretty much cripple any valid shot they have at stopping this acquisition from going through, which is probably why they didn't do it. It would have been a concession and would have shown that they understand that 
this is fair and they would have legally agreed to 10 years and their biggest arguing point of, oh, COD would be exclusive to Xbox PC and not be on Sony platforms and it'd be a massive hit in very anti-consumerism, anti-competitive laws would be, I'd be violating that through and through. And it would if that was the case off the bat with no further agreements or negotiations or compromise. Um, they can't. They wouldn't be able to argue that if Sony signed that ten-year agreement. I'm not sure what Sony thinks they could do to stop this. They could. They have tried, and they have done more success than people thought they would. They have flipped the narrative and made them try or tried to make themselves look like the bad guys, or I'm sorry, make themselves look like victims in this. Oh, we don't have enough money. We can't do that. We can't just buy out whoever. Um. They're not victims. They would do the same exact thing if they had the, the resources to do so. They just don't have the money. But be very, very, let me be very clear. They would do the same exact thing and they would not actually be as forgiving as Microsoft. They wouldn't allow cross, they wouldn't allow all these other things. Microsoft, through Bethesda and all their other acquisitions so far, they have games that are on PlayStation right now. First party games of theirs or retroactively now first party games. You can play Skyrim on PlayStation. Skyrim is now owned by Microsoft Xbox and Bethesda through and through. They, Microsoft Xbox could remove Skyrim from PlayStation tomorrow if they wanted to. Well, they wouldn't because that would make them look really bad in the FTC hearings, but they could if they wanted to. Or as soon as that contract and that license expires, then they could if there is one, which there usually is. Um, and so just be very clear, if... If Sony did that, if they owned Skyrim, they would do it as soon as they could. They are in the mentality of forcing less games and less access to games for the, for the competitor and forcing more people to buy PlayStation because of it. That is their push. The saving grace that they have is their first party original studios and projects are really high quality and really good. Microsoft fails at that. And people were worried about the Bethesda deal. Bethesda was like $9 billion. That's huge, by the way. That's still a huge acquisition. Lots of money. Maybe it was a little more. Um, it's a private company, so it was a less, lesser of a deal, and it wasn't as, it's not as big as Activision Blizzard King, but still a huge deal. That's, that's uh, Elder Scrolls Online, Skyrim, all that. Elder Scrolls, Fallout, um, id Tech, so the new Dooms, as well as the previous ones. That's uh, Machine Games, so the new Wolfenstein franchise. That's Tango Gameworks, so that's Evil Within. Uh, that's Arcane Studios, so that's Dishonored and Deathloop. All Doom, all that, all owned by Microsoft now, through and through. Starfield, that's the next big one, and they're touting that to be big. And in emails, there's this back and forth email between uh, Phil Spencer and... Um, uh, uh, Jim Ryan, right? The heads of both the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, the head of Sony, PlayStation, Jim Ryan. And they, Jim was trying to leverage and trying to say, hey, um, you know, Phil offered and even signed to with his legal team, initially offered eight, 10 years or seven years from the date of that email or eight years, whatever, 
exclusive COD, um, some other concessions, and all previous Activision Blizzard King titles that were on Sony will stay on Sony indefinitely and will not be removed. So, like, previous CODs and stuff won't be removed, which is really cool. And the future ABK games, not just COD, but, but all ABK games, including COD, will continue to be supported on PlayStation, essentially for the rest of PlayStation 5's life cycle. Okay? That's a huge commitment. It's a very generous commitment. Hey, we're spending $70 billion, you're our direct competitor, and we're and you're not actually going to lose anything from this and for the first near decade. That's huge. Jim Ryan replied and he said, we don't want it just for the first 7, 8, 10 years. We want it indefinitely. So basically he's just wanting the same thing that Activision Blizzard's doing now. He's like, just keep Activision Blizzard titles third party forever. That's what he's saying. That's what he was arguing, at least, or trying to counter-offer. And, Jermaine said in this email, and I have the emails pulled up, I won't read them, they're long, 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 uh, but he also said he would also be, um, he'd also want Bethesda games, all of them, brought back to Sony. Because I, I think Skyrim, I think the older ones are still there, but I think the new ones post the acquisition in 2019 are not on there. I think Deathloop stayed on there, but Ghostwire Tokyo maybe also stayed on there, but other than that, I know that Doom is there. No, I think, uh, but I think he means future games. He, I think he wants Bethesda's future games going forward, because all the games that are that have been published and put out, other than Redfall, which we'll talk about that in a minute, because that's a very, very interesting point to be made about this entire thing. But other than Redfall, every Bethesda game has been on. PlayStation and continues to stay on there and will stay on there for the foreseeable future. But he wants more security that they'll never go away, the previous ones, and that future Bethesda games will come. I.e., he wants Starfield. I have stated that Starfield is not, I'm not interested in, but Microsoft, Xbox, Bethesda, they're pouring everything into this. This is their flagship title. This is their new franchise. They are trying to make something of this. I hope it runs well. The fact that it's stuck at 30 frames per second on Series S pisses me off to no end. There will probably be a patch or performance, you know, and versus um, quality mode or whatever in the first coming months, so it'll it'll have a 60 frame patch update most likely, but that's so fucking annoying. I think it's Series X and S, actually. It's 30 frames locked. That's because Bethesda's using that shitty old engine. I've already talked about that in my breakdown of summer game shows. So the game looks fun and interesting, kinda. can look like it can get boring real quick, but if it's cross-play, if it has enough features and if its first-person shooting mechanics are truly reworked by Machine Games, who did Wolfenstein, and by id, who did Doom, apparently they brought them in to help with that. I just don't get why not every game, why, why all these games need their own engine. Like, I get it. So they can work independently, but just, why doesn't Microsoft just say, okay, you'll all either get to use Slipspace, which is what 3 for 3 and Halo uses, which is a great engine, or... A better engine, you get to use id tech. Four. Or five when they make that. That's like one of the greatest video game engines out there. 
with some of the greatest video game engineers and creators who are part of that team. Why isn't every fucking Microsoft game made on that? Not only would it look better than almost any game out there, it would run so goddamn smooth. Look at Doom Eternal and Wolfenstein. Look how good they look for the time they came out and look how smooth they run. Look how minimal bugs and glitches they had. Id Tech is not fucking around with their engine, and I, I just simply do not understand if you own Id software, why you do not make it for future games. Obviously, games that are finishing up, that are almost done, have already been built. You know, you're not like, oh, scrap them, rebuild them on a new engine. No. So Starfield was already in development before they bought Bethesda, so I guess I understand, but I, I would have delayed Starfield to have it look better and play better. It looks great, but to have it look even better and play more efficiently. I know it's going to be a buggy piece of shit. We all know that from Bethesda. It's because they're using the same engine that was used in Fallout 3. It's just been reworked, but it's being stretched to the brink. So unless they retool and re-optimize their entire engine like Infinity Ward did with COD MW19, I, I don't know why they're going to... I hope in the future they, they drop that because... It's not good. It's dated. It's the same stuff Skyrim ran on. It's a 10-plus-year-old engine. Say what you will about Halo Infinite in terms of lacking content, but it ran buttery smooth. Doom Eternal ran buttery smooth and was well-made. As was Wolfenstein. Why not follow those games and use the engine that they used? You have them. That's what's bothering me about that whole point. But anyway, Starfield is their next big thing. Everybody knows it. Insiders know it. It's going to be huge. Even if it doesn't do great, it will sell well. It will get a lot of downloads. It will get a lot of players. A lot of market, a lot of push, and even Jim Ryan's aware of it. Because he wants more Bethesda games in the future, and I would assume he would love to have Starfield on PlayStation. Obviously, that makes sense. Anyway, um, so there's things of that nature. Um, Microsoft doesn't want cloud service gamings to be dominated by Google, Amazon, Facebook, Tencent, all of that, mobile and cloud. So they know they're losing money right now because they're not selling wholesale price games like that and getting a majority of the profit. But their mobile and cloud service and infrastructure is why they're doing this. Also in these hearings, Nintendo confirmed their next-gen console will be a Switch. That's fucking huge, unless I misheard or misread or got my sources wrong. Uh, that's big. Folks, I think that's the first time we've had a full next-gen console from Nintendo, not like a half-gen or an upgraded version, that is absolutely just a reiteration of the same thing, right? We have the SNES, the N64, the GameCube, God bless the GameCube, the Wii, the Wii U, and the Switch. And then for the next big one, it's going to be the Switch, possibly. So that's huge. But Nintendo is going to be tapping into the Xbox's cloud thing for sure so 
some other things that were revealed at the FTC hearings, and then the next segment I'll go into my thoughts and in-depth and where I think this will go and the things that worry me and the things that excite me about this whole deal going through. Um, but here's a few things. Microsoft has has an entire list that was unredacted and somehow became... or that was redacted and somehow was accidentally unredacted, and it showed a lot of information and breakdown and how they have a management acquisition pipeline and how they plan on acquiring studios and how they do research and asset analysis and evaluations. And it's fascinating. You could probably find these files anywhere, but here are some of the studios that they have. They make an entire filtration system and they have priorities and they look at the risk and the analysis and the investment, the capital, the revenue, the value of it. They have a full breakdown of the company in detail, public info that anyone can access, but they have a really nice fleshy breakdown of it. And and they have um, check marks, benchmarks, and metrics on why they value and what demographic or what importance that, that acquisition would bring to the table. It's a fascinating amount of research and detail they put into these things. And it was revealed in an unredacted by accident somehow. Here are some of the things that they have either looked into acquiring, thought about, or have tried in the past. Here's some of the companies. Ready? Bungie. Hilariously. Of course, now they're under Sony, so that's mute point, but they tried to get Bungie back. IO Interactive, the people behind Hitman 3 and uh, a bunch of other games. Niantic for mobile uh, makers of Pokemon Go, most famously. Zynga, who's done every mobile game under the sun that you've probably heard of. Behavior Interactive, makers of Dead by Daylight. House Marquee, the devs of Returnal, the PlayStation exclusive, uh, but Sony bought them out. Rebellion Entertainment, the makers of the Sniper Elite series. Bohemia Interactive, the Arma developers. Crytek, the makers of Crisis and the infamous Crytek engine. Or, yeah. IO, or I mentioned IO, Inter Paradox Interactive, the maker of all of these RTS games like Stellaris and all of them. But they do have a really good Game Pass deal going with them. Um, and a few more, but those are the big ones. So they have looked into acquiring all of them. At some point with different priorities. Now, obviously, they've looked into, like, pursuing acquisition. That doesn't mean that they have tried to acquire these ones or that they will. Obviously, if they do that, they are a monopoly of all kinds. So, yeah, not ideal. But anyway, um, so they that, that was revealed that they were looking into that. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Microsoft is hungry for more studios. And here's the, uh, I'll get into the importance uh, and my thoughts on the ABK deal specifically, where it's going, where what I think will happen, and some of the pros and cons I see to it, and then I'll wrap this up. Here we go. Okay, so I want to discuss an important point to all of this, now that we know a little more of the details. First and foremost, I do think this deal will go through. I don't think there's enough evidence of... Uh, anti-competitive uh, tactics or anti-consumer tactics for that matter. Microsoft has been complicit in everything, um, has made compromises and deals, have reduced the overall negative impacts that it could have on competition. Tenfold has gone above and beyond, has been on time and on point with everything they possibly could have done. They're not perfect. This doesn't mean that they won't fuck over Sony later. It just means for where the deal stands now and for the foreseeable 
future, for the rest of this console generation, they're guaranteeing protection. Legally. In a court of law, swearing to it. Having an oath. You know? There have been things that have been brought up, like Matt Booty, uh, one of the head of... Not the head of Xbox, but the head of uh, Xbox Game Studios, I believe. Saying that they need to get ahead and monopolize or control the cloud and mobile market space. In an internal email following, funny enough, following Disney's acquisition of 20th Century Fox. So this is in 2019, December of 2019, I believe. And uh, following into the into the process of acquiring Bethesda. Right? He's not wrong to say that Microsoft needs a foothold. He just worded it wrong. Do they want a monopoly? Probably not. Microsoft is one of the only instances in America where a massive tech company was punished for monopolization in the 90s. Bill Gates had to go to court and all of that, and they were broken up and severely handicapped. Which was good, because they were becoming a monopoly. But the problem is that other tech companies since then, Google and others, have pushed on. Partially because of Citizens United. <laughs> God only. Supreme Court case in 2005, I believe, which basically allowed, which is, this is the worst, well, this is one of the most harmful Supreme Court laws I've ever seen passed, and that's saying something. There's some crazy damning shit that's happening day in, day out. Like the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Jesus. Anyway. Um, uh, to treat corporations as people. Legally. Civil rights wise, contractually. For corporations to be represented and to present themselves as an individual human. In a court of law. Meaning they can carry the same rights as an American citizen when they're a conglomerate in a, in a corporation. An inanimate object. <laughs> An untangible object. Which allows them to skate by with a lot more now. Because they have the rights of an American citizen when they're just a company. To put it in the simple terms. It's more complex than that. But yeah. A very danger dangerous precedent. So. I understand. So the whole. The crackdown on monopolization. And conglomerates. And domination of the marketplace. Has slipped through the cracks. Post this law. Not to say it hasn't been stopped before. Or slowed down. It has many a time. But they have to be super fucking big. And this is an instance where it is super big. But Disney acquiring 20th Century Fox was massive. Largest film and television acquisition in the history of film and television. That got by. Amazon bought MGM. Not as big of an acquisition, but still a pretty hefty one. Um, so yeah. I don't think Disney can acquire another company. I don't, I don't think they'd be able to. I think the only thing Disney could possibly try is to buy the likes and rights and licensing of all things Spider-Man. 
I think that's the last thing they could probably try to push. That would cripple Sony. That would cripple Sony more than anything Microsoft's doing. Sony's films, their most profitable two films of all time are the two Spider-Man films that they produced in tangent with Disney. Of all time. Of all Sony published, produced, or whatever films, that's their most profitable. One of their most profitable games is the Spider-Man video game from Insomniac Games. In terms of IP control, Spider-Man is Sony's greatest value. And rightfully so. So anyway, uh, but Disney owns Marvel. And Disney has more power and capital. They could buy Spider-Man. It would be a very expensive purchase. We're talking three, four, five billion dollars or more. Okay, I mean, it would be massive. It, it'd probably be bigger than their purchase of Star Wars. When they purchased Star Wars, that was four billion. So anyway, acquisitions are becoming more and more popular. And it's important to watch out for them. Meta is at risk of being broken up. They own WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, and Oculus. That's a lot of power. So it's things like that. Um, so yeah. So people are making the argument if Microsoft goes through this ABK deal, all of Activision Blizzard titles will actually get worse, not better. No one's disagreeing that the sexual harassment and the working conditions and the pay and the security, job security, would benefit the, the employees, those who don't get fired. Absolutely. No one, I don't think anyone's arguing that point, and that's great, but people are arguing that the quality of games will be worse. Like, they're... Everyone thinks that the whole idea that this is just coming to Game Pass reduces their their um, passion to make it a quality game. I don't think that's the case at all. They're releasing it on Game Pass in tangent with releasing it on other services where and when they please, depending on the game. Look at Starfield. Look at Halo, right? Um, I mean, Starfield isn't out. I don't know the quality of that, but look how much they're putting into that. You know, and people will say, oh, Halo is a failure. Not in terms of a quality of a game, just in terms of marketing and following up with that game. It's a failure of management. So, I'll say this. I think Phil Spencer has been a great head for Xbox. I do. He has turned around the company. He has done so much that people don't realize that has made Xbox viable. Xbox was on its legs, on its very or on its knees, about to be killed, and just by themselves, just by being stupid and not doing the right thing after following the success of the 360, they thought they were invincible. And so the Xbox One was a massive failure for many reasons. The, the Xbox head at the time was brand new, for one. The previous one who led the 360 left, and his protege took over. And Phil Spencer was like third in line. So it's just a line of succession. Um, but, um, this protege, I think his name is Dominic, he was in charge of the Xbox One launch, and the problem with that, and Xbox will admit this in their Power Up franchise, uh, documentary on, uh, YouTube, which even if you're not an Xbox fan, I just highly recommend it. it's probably, 
It's probably three hours long in total. It's 40-minute episodes each or something, 30, 40 minutes. It's just absolutely fascinating. It's just a history of Microsoft and Xbox from the origins and how the first Xbox came to be, the games, the success, Halo, all these things, and the, the trials and tribulations and the fail points leading all the way up to 2021. So, um, so yeah, it's just a fascinating like 20-year retrospective in the company. And it's really cool, really well made, and just on YouTube, available on the Xbox's YouTube channel. Highly recommend you watching that if you're interested, if you're an Xbox fan, even if you're not. Uh, it was really informative and just really, really well shot and edited documentary, to be honest. So anyway, um, but they, they mentioned that they, they understand their failed points. And the problem with the Xbox One, there's many, okay? One, it's kind of ugly, but it... It, it was okay, it was just a little weaker than the PlayStation 4, alright? A little weaker in certain aspects, okay? Not the end of the world, it is very, like, 2% weaker, who cares, right? And at the time, mind you, this wasn't an issue of exclusive games, per se, that became an issue once it launched, but it was... It's because Xbox misstepped in their announcement of the console, which came before PlayStation... They prioritized making the Xbox One, hence the name of it, one of all. A multi-entertainment device. That was the entire foundation of this gaming console. To not just be a gaming console, but also to be a streaming TV box, to be a, um, to be a DVD player, to be a, a music streaming player, all that. And everything was poured into making it that way. To have their own TV channel, which they did. They had Microsoft booted their own original TV shows on there. This is Microsoft trying to enter the streaming game. And try to enter the multi-purpose entertainment conglomerate side of things. In 2013. Okay, remember, this is the year that Netflix started to go full streaming. Okay? So, it was way ahead of its time. They were too far ahead of its time. They didn't know what to do with themselves. They did too much. And they took away the fact that there's still a gaming console through and through. If you want to be a gaming console that has the ability to watch DVDs and stream shows, you can. And now that's common, right? To be fair, at the time, it wasn't. And both Xbox and Sony understood that and, and made that a priority in the next-gen consoles. And they have done so successfully. But at the time, that wasn't a thing. Remember, the 360 had a few streaming and a few extra apps, but almost everything was geared towards the games. They did Xbox 360 did get Netflix and was the first console, Xbox console, to get Netflix. And Netflix understood the impor importance of dealing, uh, of partnering with them because they were, they were the dominant console over PS3 by far. I mean, not to be mistaken, PS3 still had a hell of a run. But, um, and Netflix saw so many more subscriptions because of that. So Netflix is the first place Netflix was housed for, as a streaming app, was on the Xbox 360. And so Microsoft Xbox understood that that would be the future part of it. And it is. It absolutely is. I watch so much stuff on my Xbox, but I have an Xbox to play video games. <laughs> So Xbox wanted to just capitalize on that because they wanted to be geared towards everybody. They said, hey, even if you're not a gamer, that's all right. This console can play the newest video games you want. And it can stream your favorite shows and TV. 
and it can be a DVR in a live TV service too. And to be fair, something that could successfully do that with the technology company and the money behind it to boot is a good idea. It's just that they forgot their target audience, and they admit it now. And Phil Spencer would be the first to say, we, we failed, everybody, because we were too focused on getting new people to come in and people who may not be as interested in video games when, first and foremost, gamers are who we had to service. This is a gaming console. It's in the name. And that showed the lack of money, investment, time, and energy, and presentation into video games and games as a whole and first-party games is what killed the Xbox One right out the gate. Also, having this always online and being forced to pay a little extra to have the Kinect come bundled and you can't have it separated was also a huge detriment. I was a stupid 13-year-old and I just came off the heels of 360. I didn't know any better, so I still bought one. But still, my point is that um, they lost. Couldn't do game sharing, couldn't do a lot of things that you could do back in the day with 360. They just became anti-consumer so fucking quick. An anti-gamer, almost. It almost felt like it was antithetical to being a gamer and having an Xbox to play video games with. And so, PlayStation saw that, and they said, well, we're not doing any of that, and yeah, we still allow Blu-ray to be played, we still allow streaming apps, but uh, here's some awesome exclusive games, here's some cool stuff in the future. Oh, you can do game sharing. It's not always online required just to play the things, even if it's an offline game. There you go. And we're cheaper. Because we don't require you to have a connect. And they won. Clear and simple. They got such a head start. They marketed and geared themselves. They had a two to three year head start. And that's such a big head start. That's almost half of the entire cycle. And it wasn't until that dominant guy was fired. Phil Spencer became the head. And they completely shifted gears. They said we're going to make more powerful consoles. We're going to make different versions. right? Project Scorpio, all that. The Xbox One X came out. That was actually pretty powerful, pretty good, and it recentered focus back into gaming. And that was the first step in 2017, 2018. And then, and then leading up to 2020 with the new series console and Game Pass and the services, and they switched gears to making good hardware, but to make better services, subscription services and deals for the consumer. So Xbox through and through is now all about gaming. And they're doing a really good job at that through Game Pass and through other th avenues. So they have done a complete 180, and it's impressive. The amount of capital that they have invested and that they have gotten Microsoft to help invest for Xbox to, to capitalize on gaming is insane. There's not another company that has invested this many dollars into games. And herein lies the problem. Microsoft has the ability to pay for this because they make more money than God himself. And Xbox makes a good amount of money, too, on their own. Obviously, it's all through Microsoft, but they still make that money. Sony PlayStation makes a shit ton of money, not to be mistaken. Billions and billions a year, but not even fucking close. Sony couldn't... I don't think... I think Sony PlayStation... I, I think all of Sony as a company could probably be valued at a uh, hundred billion or more. I don't know for sure. I'm not an, uh, uh, an economic analyst but they could probably easily be valued at a whole over a hundred billion but that's everything that's their television their film their film equipment their technology in general their dvd players to their to their headphones to their cell phones to their to their playstations to their i mean playstation sony is one of their biggest assets so sony as a company will invest more in playstation 
Xbox is one of Microsoft's big assets. It is not one of their biggest. I think it's like fourth, which is still fucking huge considering how much Microsoft is doing. But Microsoft's biggest asset is Windows. Windows 10, Windows 11, it's on every computer. It's PC and Windows. Then their second biggest asset is probably Office, Microsoft Office and the Office Suite. And with that, Azure Cloud and their cloud and server-based infrastructure. And then third or fourth is probably Xbox after that. Still very high up there for a gaming company. But um, Whereas Sony's, it's been shown and reported, Sony's largest asset and largest revenue generator, and by that, that's what I mean by that, largest consistent revenue generator year in, year out, is their PlayStation gaming side. So, yeah. Second is their films distribution and then film equipment and television equipment, all that. But but the amount of money they make from PlayStation is insane. So, anyway, but that's what I'm getting at. It's really important to understand the macro sense of this and the scale of everything going down. So, Sony's really good at making first-party, high-quality games. So it's, it is worth the $70, and you're not getting it day one. You don't have Game Pass. You don't have stuff like that. You have something similar, but but you're paying for high-quality. You know, you just compare the both most recent first-party AAA games from Xbox and Sony. You have God of War Ragnarok from Sony PlayStation, which was considered Game of the Year. I'm glad it was. I assume it's a great game. It looks great. I haven't played it. I've got nothing against it, but I'm glad Elden Ring won. But then, in Microsoft's camp, you have Redfall, considered one of the worst games made of the year. I mean, technically, Redfall came after. It was May of this year, but needless to say. And it's been shown time and time again, the management system within Microsoft Xbox Game Studios specifically is very, very dicey. It's not mismanaged. It's not like horrible treatment and toxic work environment that we know of. It's not sexual misconduct like Activision Blizzard. It's just not actually managed enough. It is very, very self-managed. So the studio, the dev studio that's under Xbox and Microsoft is able to operate on their time, their energy with X amount of resources and with review periods with the heads of Xbox. That's it. It's not micromanagement. Whereas we know that Sony is very, very micromanaged. Like, they're still given creative freedom and all of that, but then for final review and for review, like, it's very micromanaged. It's not hands-off. And t shown some people need more micromanagement, more structured, and some people need more free-flowing. But nonetheless, when you're running so many, when you have so many things going on, you need control. You need consistency. Part of the benefit of being under Microsoft is the amount of resources, the amount of collaboration, the amount of cross-networking and working on stuff. The infrastructure is all really, really top caliber. And the respect and a I mean, the pay and the workers' comp and the work environment, even though it's still video game development, and video game development can be very arduous, 
it's still some of the best treatment employees get. So all that's great. But the problem that devs have, the reason why they leave Microsoft, is because it feels aimless, like a chicken running around with its head cut off. I understand that. I've worked for people or companies or, or groups or organizations, whatever, that have great, great environment, great people, great artists. All that's good, but no direction, no conciseness, no cohesion. It's all scatterbrained. So, now, Microsoft has admitted to this. Xbox has un is understanding this, and Phil Spencer has admitted to this and understands that is his management approach, but he's looking into getting further assistance and looking into finding ways to be more focused and micromanage the big stuff. And that's becoming evident in Starfield. That's their big thing. They're not just completely letting Bethesda do exactly what they want with that, and the reason for that that makes that evident is they made they forced Bethesda to delay the game to fix the bugs and to rework the combat mechanic, which is a huge mechanic of the game. Because Phil Spencer admitted, he's like, I played it and it felt great. It was a fun game to play. All that was there, but the combat was lacking. And for a game that has so much, it needed more. And so they brought id software and machine games, praise the Lord, to do the combat, to rework it from the ground up. And that delayed the game by a year. Folks, it was supposed to come out November of last year. It's coming out September of this year. So almost a full year to rework. That's good. That's what we want to see. Redfall was almost pretty much finished with develop with primary development by the time the Bethesda was acquired, and I think that's important to note. It's not like Arcane started development on Redfall after the acquisition. They were in the thick of finishing the primary skeleton and working of that game. But that game should have been delayed. It was a buggy, unpolished, boring, it was horrible. And it's unfortunate because Arcane doesn't actually miss. They've had nothing but successes. And so it's unfortunate because it's pairing, it's bad timing, and that's when all this came out. It's like, man, Microsoft was touting Redfall as the first big AAA game of the year, and then Starfield. And that's still not a lot compared to Sony. So their management process sucks. And I, to be honest, I don't know if they're going to change it fast enough. Right? So in some extent, it is good that they allow more resources and freedom and flexibility but there's procrastinating there's things that get lost in translation and in the weeds if you don't have someone come in and put their boot down obviously they do at some point because they get the games out right but um but it's very very self-structured in the sense that and, and you kind of have to do that because you have so many studios working on so many different projects for different scale and different requirements. They kind of have to let them work on their own and control their own destiny and come to you for final say and final authorization of resources. I understand that completely. That's how I manage things a lot of the times too. But if the products we're putting out are, aren't of quality because if I'm in charge and I have to look over it for efficiency and it's just not as quality because I didn't get a chance to get a look at it or review it, or have my two cents in it, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we still put out a poor quality, a poor product, because I was letting too much hands off, because I was too 
much to man. It was too much to manage. The other thing that Sony has is even though they have a fuck ton of studios, there are, it's a lot less and a lot less complex. So they have way more resources and time to focus, and they know where to prioritize that focus. So they do need, and they they actually following this ABK deal at the beginning of this year, they restructured the entire organizational workflow and management structure of Xbox games. So that's good. Um, it's a it's a good sign. It allows more responsibility, work, and balance. I hope, but we'll see how it's all managed. Halo Infinite is a story of management uh, management disaster, as was Redfall. So, so far, they're not doing well. And so, in some proper concern, I have concern about this too. Is there any fucking point in acquiring these studios to make the games that they're making if you're not going to take under consideration the management systems? I mean, yeah, you have the library of the games that they put out previously. But we need games of quality, and part of my concern is that Microsoft is punching really high in the sky. They are doing very complex stuff with a very piss-poor management system, like Starfield, like Fable. High, high-scale, big RPG, open, sprawling worlds, all these complex mechanics. And they couldn't even get Halo Infinite right for a pretty pretty reduced open world for campaign and an arena multiplayer shooter. They couldn't get that dialed in properly. Though that game still runs pretty pretty flawlessly and is very fun to play. It's just there's not enough content there and it had a rough, weird, mixed launch. So I'm worried. I'm worried about these first-party exclusives because I have yet to see something on the quality of Ghost of Tsushima or, um, or something like God of War Ragnarok coming from first-party. That isn't Forza or Gears of War. Those are all actually always good. So we need, and I'd love to see a Wolfenstein 3 with high quality. I'd love to see a, um, I'd love to see Starfield do well. I'd love to see a focus more arena multiplayer shooter of high quality. The best of the best behind it. Kind of like what Marathon and what Bungie's doing with Marathon. Kind of like what the finals is doing. Something like that. That's Xbox space that's, you know, really focused and tight. I'd love to see something like that. I think that would help because it's nothing but open world and RPGs that Xbox is covering in the first party and that's fine but they're so complex and there's so many variables look at Diablo 4 but Diablo 4 is very much staying in its lane yeah it's it's improving and upgrading and iterating in a lot of aspects and it went open world and all these things but it's not stretching itself so thin and it also took 10 fucking years to make and the working conditions probably weren't that ideal Make something focused, fun, and replayable. Don't make something so complex and up to scale where so many things can go wrong. Graphics and bugs and hitches. It's just they're loading themselves with too much. God of War Ragnarok for all it was and as complex as it is, is very focused. Don't make an Elden Ring type if you can't manage it. 
From Software can manage Elden Ring DLC and Armored Core because they are a very tight-knit, focused group. So Microsoft is very spread out and they have their own internal stuff. Uh, I think the new Hellblade will be great. Stalker looks like it's going to come along. I mean, there's a lot of cool things, but nothing franchisable jumping out at me. Not a, Not yet. Nothing that I want to root for like that. They're they're really doing good with indies and stuff. Um, but yeah, just have some more games like Woe Long, Fallen Dynasty. That wasn't first party exclusive. It was on Game Pass Day 1 though, which is great. But have games like that that's first party. I don't know, just something. God damn. Because the management system is critically failing. And if they're going to take on Call of Duty, they have to have their shit in order. They're still some of the best. Like, don't be mistaken. They're not bad at what they do. They're just they're just struggling. Probably because of COVID. Probably because of acquiring Bethesda, which is a huge addition. And probably because of all these other changes. And with Game Pass and all these structures. But they're failing internally at managing these things. And they're just tacking more shit on. And it does not matter. They're just weighing themselves down. Stop making Forza games. Make a few more and just hold off on that. Take a break. Have more of these teams and assets focus in and polish up and push out better quality games. I know they all specialize in other things and they're all used to different software, so it's so difficult. You know, it's a parent company owning a bunch of studios, right? They don't ask King, who makes Candy Crush, to go in and work on Call of Duty at Activision. It's the same thought process, right? They don't ask the devs of Diablo 4 to go and touch uh, whatever, you know. I guess Call of Duty again. They, they keep things separate. They keep those dev studios separate. And so as cool as it would be to have that IP and to have those games and that library and those devs and those systems on board at Microsoft, that's a lot of shit to manage. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of more employees and so many more things to keep a track of. And considering they're trying to buy all these other things, it's, it's, it's just astounding. Ubisoft is the biggest company in terms of employees. They have over 30,000 employees. And they have so many headquarters around every country. They're on every continent, except Antarctica. Um, it's insane how big Ubisoft is. Ubisoft's problem is they're so fucking big and they do so much, but they all, in some regards, follow the same exact consistency. They all use the same engine. Everything looks the same and feels the same after a while. Except for Rainbow Six Siege. That's pretty much it. But almost everything else they do feels very similar. They don't care. They make money from it. Far Cry's all feel... Far, Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, Ghost Recon. Any open world game always feels like a Ubisoft open world game. Through and through. You know what I mean? Small changes. Maybe a new paint job. Some better graphics and lighting. Other than that, it all feels the same. So to some benefit, Microsoft does not feel that way. That is a big plus. Neither does PlayStation. That's a big plus on their part. If we're evaluating Microsoft for the companies they own and the previous games that those companies did before they were acquired, 
we're looking at a great portfolio, some of the strongest in the world. But if we're looking at it post them owning these companies, we're not seeing much new resounding success. And I think they're really banking on Starfield, and I think that's a wrong investment. I would play it safer, close to the chest, that is more consistently reliable. The next Doom, the next Wolfenstein. Those two, you can knock those in, and those would be critical successes and probably have better marketability. So you get those out of the way. You know what I mean? A new, the new Halo, they really should have focused in on that more. And they should have had another studio helping with that. It is a gargantuan task. Call of Duty is done primarily by one developer, but they have eight supporting studios at any given time. There is not eight supporting studios on these video games. It's a miracle that Bethesda allowed id and Machine Games to support them in Starfield. A much bigger game than Call of Duty has three, one main studio and then two supporting studios. Whereas in Call of Duty, they get the main studio and then all these other... So like... On Modern Warfare 2, for example, they had Infinity Ward do the bulk of it, but then they had Sledgehammer Games and Raven as supporting, directly supporting, and then they had High Noon Interactive, uh, Bob's Toys, one other, and then three or four others. They had like eight total studios work on COD MW2. Partially because it was only done in three years. It was such a short time frame. Anyway, so th th that's my point. They really have to figure out their management process. I think that also is giving people a lot of worry. They need a dub from the camp of first-party exclusives. And there's not many slated. It really is. We're waiting for Starfield. And a lot of people are putting a lot of uh, Microsoft's future success on Starfield, which I think is unfair. Starfield began development way before they were acquired. Um... So, I don't think Starfield will do as well as people are hoping it would. And I don't, I don't think Microsoft's betting on the right horse. I, th I hope to God it works out, because it looks like a fun game, and if it works out, it'll be another great game to have in, in the world. But, uh, and, you know, Bethesda's great at world building, but, <sighs> golly, we're putting their, our horses on a Bethesda game? So... Anyway, uh, it's, a, it's an exciting time, but that, I am genuinely concerned about that. I am concerned about the market domination and the control. Um, if all these companies that go to Microsoft don't actually amount to much within a few years, then what's the point, right? So I hope that that's not true. I hope Avowed is good from Obsidian. I, that looks promising. I, I hope that the next Halo entry, we find a new studio that can do that. Um... They're not going to retire Halo, and they shouldn't. Halo still has so much more to do, but they got to find some people who really want to make a good Halo game and know how to. If the finals does well, which I'm hoping it will, it looks really fun, I, I would tap them. I mean, they, the, the head of... Bun, the guy who was there for the original Halos, who was one of the executive game developers, he he left 343. You know, he was spearheading 343, and he left after Infinite. He helped turn it around, actually. He brought some content and some updates, 
and helped actually turn Infinite back around into a place that felt more like Halo, and then he left. He said it was just too restrictive. He's going to work for his own, do his own thing now. I think Meta is tapping him, funny enough. So we could be seeing him do VR, but I'm not sure. Um, stuff like that. So it's just weird. It's a shame um, that this is happening. So if Microsoft can't really get their first party shit together, they got to stop acquiring. They got to start spending the dollars on licensing and getting more more of these high-quality games made by other people on Game Pass. Because that's the other benefit. If you have Game Pass, you're not getting Game Pass for these first-party games just for that. You're getting it to get access to all these other games that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. So, here's to hoping that all works out. Personally, I do hope this ABK deal does go through. Contingent on if they really do overhaul their management system. And allow the main key people and devs and and people who have really been pushing the quality work out of ABK to stay on board. And to get better pay and better respect that they need. And to reconfigure their entire studio systems. Because it's a fucking jumbled mess. And they're all coming out at different times. But to have some consistency. To have a few more CODs come out and then to stop this cycle, this annual cycle to make it every two years or three years. To bring back some old Activision favorites. And to use that talent and force from Blizzard to create something new. To have all these Game Pass categories and for fuck's sake to make a Call of Duty Zombies collection like Master Chief. To have all the maps and modes remastered in a cross-play, fully cross-play um, remastered with better graphic fidelity, stable 60 frames or higher, uh, with all the bug fixes and balances, of course. Every map, with the option of playing its original and its remade DLC and all, as well as a few new maps, a few new systems, and a new progression system that carries between all of them. Uh, full cross-play. Yeah, and to allow that to be on PlayStation, PC, everything, but allow it to be on Game Pass, the Zombies Collection. Like Master Chief Collection, but for COD Zombies specifically, would be astounding to have. I've mentioned that before, I've had a whole episode on that, on how that would look. So, I hope that comes true. Because that would be an instant hit, and that'd be a reliable source people would have game pass for forever and to have continuous updates to that live service a few new maps every once in a while a few new modes events with all your favorites all in one place all brought up to par and fully cross play with your friends wow that would be a deal of a lifetime something like that you know, all these things could be really cool but it could also be shit and fall apart so we'll see it's a lot to manage, and I hope that Microsoft does get this. Because Activision Blizzard King is a shit show already, and they're already cannibalizing themselves and going downhill. And nothing's going to stop them from doing what they're doing. And it's awful. But I'm hoping that it does improve. So we'll see. So I do have concerns. 
I do understand why people are concerned about this, and I am hopeful that these things can be managed over time. We'll see. We have one more day of hearings. So far, it actually just, and, and in all honesty, it looks like Microsoft's going to clear this no problem. So it does look like Activision Blizzard King will be acquired by Microsoft this year. Because as soon as FTC clears it, everything else has been figured out. It'll just be a trans transition point. Then they'll make a big announcement. Will they do it in time for summer? I'm not before the end of summer. I'm not sure. They were planning on closing this deal by now, so this has delayed them a little bit. Will we just see them possibly push on into uh, a winter slate and add all these games? It's a fuck ton of Activision Blizzard games. If they're allowed to add the back catalog at the very least to Game Pass, that'd be huge. And to have reworked servers so you can play them all with your friends? Oh my god. All the Call of Duties in one place? There's never been a time. That'd be, that's a $300 investment alone if you want to buy every Call of Duty retroactively. That alone, you know? Let alone all the Diablos and all. I mean, my god. That would be impressive. And, I mean, that's what they did with Bethesda. Every Skyrim, every Doom, all of it, right there. It is a phenomenal deal. But we're not just, they're not just buying these companies for back catalog. I mean, that's great. That builds a permanent library of Game Pass beyond anyone's imagination. But they're doing it to invest in the future. Cloud gaming, mobile, and future games to come. And they really do have to tap in. So Xbox has been doing a killer job at marketing and at being more consumer-friendly than any other big gaming company. But these new AAA first-party games are failing. So they need to get their shit together. If this ABK deal goes through, Bobby Kotick's out, which is a godsend. So I really do hope the best, and I'm excited to see the future, and we'll see what happens. But I think an acquisition, a full acquisition and integration, signed, sealed, delivered, is imminent. It could be within the end of this month, but more likely by, by the end of July we could see this happen. So I'm curious to see where this goes from now. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a good day.